There were some right. opportunities he had on the on the uh, Mitt yeah. Romney's tax there's, returns. There's no doubt, as I said, I think you know, and I take some responsibility for it. I'm happy to take all of it, but we had a strategy of, of uh, uh, limited engagement uh, that we uh, that we took to an illogical extreme. Okay. So you explicitly decided not to raise Bain? Uh, we decided to stay out of... Uh, the first thing, what we assumed was that these guys, having practiced for as long and as hard as they had, had an answer prepared, and we just uh, felt like we were going to lead into... Uh, Something that might not be so you did not want to give him the opportunity to respond to either the 47% or the Bain, and that's why you didn't raise them? Uh, Is that yeah, fair? because we felt that it would lead to sort of a vituperative exchange. And, uh, Even know, taxes. Excuse me? Even taxes? Yeah. Tax taxes. Taxes, I think, were probably... Uh, I mean, you know, there were a lot of opportunities to which we could have responded when Governor Romney said... Uh, I didn't know about that tax break for companies with jobs services. I, I need to talk. I may, I may need better accountants. Right, and that's what I'm talking about. Respect, I don't think that's the thing you need. Right, uh, exactly. So, you know, there were answers uh, that we could have given, but they would have been more personal in nature. And, um, you know, uh, that was part of I mean, I think that was the, if there was a preparation problem, it was on that strategic uh, level. So let's ask from the... Uh, uh, Romney camp, which had been sort of in the in the trough there, and and Beth, you know, you had been so involved in the preparation here, and at, it, so describe watching this debate. Uh, we were feeling pretty good together. Um, <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> the first, you know, the first five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes went by, and and you know, I, I kept getting nervous. Uh, Was there a sense of that in the campaign that this was an absolute must moment and that, in fact, there was a lot of press commentary going in that if the president had a good debate, he could almost put the race... Well, we, we talked about before the response to the 47%, and our first goal was to have a good first debate. So we went to check. How, how much more pressure, I mean, and could you tell from, um, from your interactions with the governor about how much more pressure he felt because of the 47% going into this first debate. Did he talk about it Did when you had your meeting after the 47% problem or pre-debate? Well, he, he's always been a candidate, and, and um, that does better when things are on the line and there's more pressure. He is always, and this is why he excelled during the primary process when it was a must-win situation, 
uh, when it's when it's on the line, uh, he's very good. And sometimes, um, you know, as a, as the campaign manager, I like to. I don't like that. Um, but he performs at a higher level. He's like a quarterback that you know has three bad quarters, and then all of a sudden you hit the two-minute drill, and he knows how to throw the touchdown pass. So obviously there was a tremendous amount of pressure on him, but I never felt that that would impact his ability to do what he needed to do in the first debate because he had a, a track record of, of doing it when he needed to do it. And coming out of the debate, what was his reaction? chain to my desk. I think. He was new. I think he knew, I think he knew coming off the stage that, that it had gone well. I'm not sure that he had a sense of, of, it was, of how well it had gone. Um, but I but I, I think he got a sense as he walked back saying he saw us all very happy. Um, that, that he and, and, and we went to um, excuse me, a event in Virginia the next day. And um, we uh, Ed Gillespie, who I, I just have to say here, yeah, Ed's not here today, but Ed was invaluable in our campaign. I mean, he, he in, in ways, uh, he just was a tremendous asset to the campaign. Um, brilliant, wonderful guy. Um, and we were driving to this event, and there was this massive traffic jam on the uh, interstate, and we thought that there had been an accident or something, and we came to realize it was people coming to this event. And they had, after the debate, you know, you have, they had these things ticketed, and it exploded in the number of um, people who were planning to come to the debate. And there was a traffic jam that went, you know, like 15 miles to get to this event, in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. Speaking so after the debate, you know, the famous, the famous uh, uh, story after the debate is no Democrats in the spin room for quite a while after that first debate. Long conference call. What, what, what was going on? Uh, and how that was not. We always had, we always, at every debate, start a conference call about 15 minutes before the end of the debate uh, so that we weren't having long conference calls after, uh, after the debate. Jim Messina said, and I, I know he's not feeling well now, but he, he said that Mitt Romney could have won the presidency after that uh, debate, that he had a sense. Can you guys talk about that a little I, bit? I just, I, since he's not here, I'm going to disagree with him. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I never, here's what I mean, and David, you can speak yeah. to this, but as was referenced earlier, I think what he did is in one night, he got back those independent, uh, Republican leaning independents. I think he improved enthusiasm among his base. Uh, I think the race snapped back to where it was essentially before the convention. Uh, was my impression, uh, but as I said earlier, in our own data, uh, we, we were never trailing in the race. And the interesting thing about the debate was, look, the president obviously didn't perform well in that debate. Uh, on substance, he performed a little better than uh, in terms of his, uh, you know, the performance elements of it. And what we saw in our own data was that his numbers really didn't suffer, but Romney's numbers definitely improved. Uh, and uh, so. No, I, I didn't feel that way. The thing that it did do, Zach talked earlier about uh, after the 47% tape, all the helpful advice that these guys were getting from members of their own party. So, <laughs> this was our turn in the barrel. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, you know everybody was very generous with their advice. <laughs> and, what was, uh, and what was the president's react? I mean, how we, we heard about Mitt Romney after the forty-seven percent mistake. Can you tell us a little bit about the president's reaction to his own uh, performance? Well, I don't think I just as uh, Governor Romney didn't know, uh, you know, how well he had uh, done. I don't think the president knew that it was as uh, as negative uh, as as it turned out to be. Uh, by the time I was in the spin room, by the time I talked to him, uh, he had read some of the coverage <laughs> and. Uh, but, uh, so, obviously, the next you, you have several days of campaigning in between, but the next big event is the vice presidential debate. To say the least, Joe Biden. Takes well, actually, the next big event was the next event we had was the next day, and it was, was absolutely okay. essential that you come out uh, tough in that. And, and you enlisted Big Bird. Yeah. Um, uh, talk, talk about those. But maybe we should talk for, for a minute about that kind of period immediately after the debate. You said you believe you were still ahead. What, to what degree did you believe the debate did, in fact, reset the race? And what, what did you have to do differently after the debate than you did the morning before? Actually, and before David, let me give a power update. Power's out in the whole block. They said there's no danger for us to remain where we are and to continue the discussion, so we're just going to keep doing that. Um, if we, when we have an update, I'll give it to you. The danger is we're going to keep talking about the Denver debate. No, we're moving on. We're moving on. We can. What, 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 were, your, were your imperatives any different after the debate what, than they were before? Well, so those, both those, sides? The first 48 to 72 hours for us, I mean, what we saw uh, after 24 hours was a, was a consolidation back to Governor Romney. Uh, it accelerated in the second 24-hour period. So at this point, we're looking to see where the floor is uh, from us. And that what we saw is by by the third day, uh, as David said, the race had settled back to pre-convention levels. When we analyzed who it was that moved, it was precisely those voters, from our perspective, who had peeled off during the 47. So that's on the clock. On the, the qualitative was, was really interesting, and it set the dynamic for the second and third debate. Uh, in terms of Governor Romney, we heard voters saying, you know what, he looked presidential. He didn't seem like the guy either that we saw or heard in the 47% video or that we had seen over the summer. I will give him another look. Undecided voters, and this is what we were hearing them say, not that I'm sold, but I am once again open to giving him a view. When it came to a discussion with the president, as Axe said, um, people were chalking it up to basically having a bad day. Now, that made the imperative of not having a second bad day uh, that much more important. So uh, in the qualitative, it opened up the door for Governor Romney. It corrected uh, with a whole bunch of voters the problem that he had. And we saw, uh, to the point that, that Stu made about the Virginia rally, for the first time we saw his very favorable numbers among Republicans, rivaling numbers that we had seen in 2008. Uh, now, this is perhaps... So, so, so Neil, Neil, what yeah. is that? What, uh, were you seeing the same things? Can I also sharpen a little bit here? Do you, do you agree that the debate only affected Mitt Romney's image positively and had no negative effect no, on no, the president's? No, 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 no. Um, let me back up for a second. I, I think, actually, very close to what uh, the Obama team is saying, is these voters saw uh, 
Mitt Romney and they watched the debate, they're impressed. I kind of I kind of offhandedly say that they didn't see him, he didn't outsource a single job, he didn't close down a single business, he didn't lay off a single worker. And the whole kind of the 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 image of him portrayed of him, painted of him, was had begun to kind of wash away a little bit. So that in all the verbatim comments we got after that, 47% kind of went away. Now, it didn't go away completely, but it went away from the verbatim. And for the next, keep in mind, this is the longest period of time between the first presidential debate and the second presidential debate since 1988. 13 days. The, the entire verbatim comments over the next you know, two weeks had nothing to do with was, was all about the debate. That's all about, good for you. And it was, all, it was all good for us. It gave us, you know, per, perceived momentum so that it, not that just that our numbers were moving. There wasn't really, there was an initial movement, but then it, 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 it didn't really continue to, you know, to, to, to move significantly, but you began to see some erosion and some softening of, of Obama support. Mitt's fave on fave now just, you know, went like that. I mean, it's just the information flow numbers, Everything began to, to kind of trend our way a little bit, so that you get a sense that there was wind at our backs. How did it affect the president's image? Um, it, it actually didn't affect his image all that much. It just I mean, maybe a point, but it, it not, didn't do much to the president's image. It, it affected the ballot. He came down a little, just a little on the ballot, and but it was more what it did for Mitt Romney rather than. Okay, so Dan, now you were we're trying to move along to the vice presidential debate. Um, obviously, a lot we'll talk about Joe Biden, uh, some pressure on Joe Biden, but also some pressure on the, uh, the junior partner. Yeah, I mean, the primary question for our readiness, I mean, that was, we weren't going to like, win this thing on the vice presidential debate. It would do real damage if we didn't pass the readiness test. The debate was a huge, you know, it was, that, was, that was where we were most vulnerable, we're vulnerable than anything going into the debate. And you, know, you watch a lot of these Biden debates over years as I watched one or two of them uh, when I would come home uh, day off campaign here and there my wife would say it's very nice of you to be home but did you have to bring Joe Biden uh, we'd watch hours and hours of tape if you go back over like two decades he actually I mean there's something you know during the lead up to the debate this would sound like spin setting expectations the truth is he does whatever he needs to do in just about every debate he does um, and, and actually Ryan the only debate he watched of Biden was that 2008 Palin debate. Say, well, look how respectful he is, and you know, he did exactly what he needed to do in that debate. And you know, our, our sense was he was going to have a much different approach to uh, to dealing with Ryan. And so Ted Olson, who played Biden, basically all he, you know, for the vast majority of our mock session, he played crazy Uncle Joe. I mean, screaming, yelling, interrupting. He didn't do the laughing, but he did. He did the. He did the. He did about his. Close to sort of, no, it wasn't like Senate Judiciary Committee Joe Biden, because we watched a lot of that too, and that was very, you know, focused and sort of prosecutor, prosecutorial. Uh, also did mostly um, sort of crazy uncle. And I remember Russ and I were talking like the day before the debate, you know, it's great that he's done this sort of the, the crazy uncle, but like what if he shows up and very serious and you sort of prosecutes? Turns out he was even more of the crazy uncle than we even, like, than Ted Olson had done in the mock session. The challenge for Paul was that he can't get drawn into that. It's one thing for someone like Joe Biden with his experience and his stature to do that. 
get away with it, but a 42-year-old congressman can't get away with it. And so what we work on a lot of, if, if Biden had gotten into that zone, there's no way you're going to win just trying to engage him back and forth. If Biden's doing the constant interruption, just, just sort of lock in and just almost operate like you're doing an interview with Mark Brown and just go one-on-one. We'll drone and, and pass the readiness. The, the other uh, you know, challenge in all this is that, He's not the only VP nominee that this, but he had to obviously be able to defend his own record, the Ryan record. And he hasn't had a real tough congressional campaign debate since his first race in 1998. He had to be able to defend his own record. He had to defend the Romney record. It's a lot of stuff he yeah. hasn't dealt with. So state capital in Massachusetts, and then obviously prosecute the case against Obama and Biden. Stephanie, I mean, one of, one of the reactions to the first debate, you, you hear uh, the journalists interviewing uh, voters would be that the president didn't seem to have any energy or passion or drive to defend his agenda or, or, or seem to have any energy or passion or drive what he was going to do in his second term. As Dan was saying, Biden certainly gave you plenty of passion and energy. Did you guys kind of, was he encouraged to simply be forceful above all to respond to that kind of sense that the president seemed without uh, those qualities? certainly carried over to the second debate for the president, where his tone was very different. So what was your cal- I mean, what was your calculation then? I mean, you said that going to the first debate, you were worried about basically seeming unpresidential by mixing it up too much. That concern seemed to pretty much have evaporated by the time you got on the second debate. Can I just ask one question? Yeah. It's a question that's like... I'm worried. Sure. laughing. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Was that... Because we were watching it, and we were like, is this the plan? Like, is this, we just didn't know if this was sort of Biden being Biden, which is, or, or was this actually, like, in mock sessions, the laughing was part of the planned performance? We don't have to answer that. <laughs> uh, well, yes, I, there was some of that in the, in, in the press. Uh, I, I think he maybe was a little more amused than he expected to be. <laughs> The split screen, uh, which magnifies uh, every facial yeah. expression and all, yeah. and, and, and it was seemed to me that both Mitt Romney had sort of a practiced uh, pose and 
the president tried to find his in the first debate. In the first debate. So, so talk Bobby to me about Ronnie that. Handled it perfectly. He was well prepared for it. Uh, president, we'd be prepared for it. Um, but you know, obviously, the split screen worked against us in that debate. These guys were pretty artful about using that tape uh -huh. after for good reason. Uh, but uh, so you know, uh, we, we we were even more rigorous in preparing for the subsequent debates. Now the second debate was a town hall debate, so it's some somewhat different. But we spent a lot more time on <coughs> on the whole reaction shot thing and. Know that you're going to be on camera all the time, and uh, you know. But in that second, say, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that one of the difficulties that the Obama campaign had in that first debate is a sort of bloodlust on the part of their supporters that they wanted the president to go out and bash Mitt Romney. And and I think these guys, they won. They ran a great campaign. I think that they were smart enough. I think that that would have been a mistake for the president of the United States to go out and negative ads, personally. So I think it's sort of a bummer. But he did echo a lot more of that language in the second debate. I mean, many of those he arguments. Didn't, he, didn't, he didn't repeat those. Well, he, 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 he was much tougher in that second debate. He, he raised more of the economic the, the <coughs> arguments. I remember there was one answer about the auto industry where he managed to get in vain very quickly. Uh, he got planned, planned Parenthood repeatedly before he was asked. Um, so obviously, you made a very different calculation by the time of that second debate. Talk about that. Would you, you simply well, conclude yeah, you overcorrected well, I mean, the, the first time? Point, it was still modulated. It wasn't. Uh, yeah. It wasn't. Uh, it was. Well, there was no physical violence. Although, although so, there were moments. That, yeah. So that, in. That but but. Uh, but you did tone it up quite a bit. Format was useful to us because uh, you know it's something that you felt comfortable with. There were other people who you could speak to. Uh, you know, you could move around. Uh, it was, uh, it offered, you, you had to, it was a more difficult in certain ways, uh, choreography, but it was, uh, but it was also a greater opportunity. But basically, as I said earlier, he came to the first debate treating it as a, some sort of discussion. And the second debate, he focused much more on, if this comes up, these are the points I want to make. If this, this comes up, these are the points I want to make. A lot of the language that we used in that debate was language that emerged from him during the course of those uh, uh, prepping, you know, one question after another. Let me ask uh, Matt and, and, and Beth this, and, and, and Neil can chime in. Sort of when the debate, so we, we get through the next two debates, and um, uh, how did you feel in terms of the playing field by that? I mean, you know, because. The consensus, I think, was that the president did very well in the in the second and third debates. Mitt Romney held his own. Uh, it was it, and and how did you feel um, with the debates over, heading into the uh, the next part of, of the election? Did you feel you had sort of stabilized? Did you feel you had stopped the bleeding? Or definitely, there, there was a sense that we had. Um, stabilized or, or, or picked up a little bit of momentum, but obviously we were on a positive information flow uh, trajectory, and that's what we always talk about in the games. And so we as a campaign you know, went back to the plan that we had laid out and just started to execute on the various points of it. Right. But, Beth, but maybe just to clarify one point, Beth, and for you, in that third debate, 
Mitt Romney was the opposite of the party. He, he was extremely non-confrontational to the point of not repeating, again, many of the criticisms that he had earlier made of the president's foreign policy. And I, were you thinking at that point that you were basically, what were you hoping to achieve in that thing? Do you think you were basically ahead and all you had to do was get through it? Or no. why was he taking such a, a less confrontational pose in that third debate? You know, Stuart, you want to take that? We gave it a lot of thought in our strategy, and actually, um, he was executing our strategy. Look, 7% um, of the public cared about the, about foreign policy on polling shows. Um, and what they really wanted to, that was really a test of, are you comfortable with this person's demeanor as president? It was not to prosecute the president for foreign policy. It was to get people, if, if Mitt Romney were my president, would I be comfortable with this person? What's his judgment? What's his, how's he go about making a decision? Um, it was clear that they were going to um, attempt to paint a, a, a picture of him as being someone who was bellicose. Um, and it was not a foreign service exam. But there were Republicans who criticized you guys for not attacking yeah, You could say that about Benghazi. any moment, about yeah. any Well, but, <laughs> no, but particularly in the foreign policy debate on uh, not going on office, more on, on Benghazi. You know, we, we, it was a moment where we, we agreed completely with the problems that the president had with Benghazi, but this was not a Sunday show. It was a very different moment for the goal of that debate was a different moment and a different risk and a different opportunity um, for, for memory. So you said the goal of the debate was to change perceptions about, or, or just uh, improve, improve perceptions about the governor on foreign policy, not to diminish them about the president on foreign policy. You wanted to see, you had to, someone who was going to be a strong leader, and he came across as such himself. Um, someone you would be comfortable with there. But my bigger picture is we came out of the debates much stronger than we went into the debates. And that's really a critical point in terms of image, in terms of favorability, in terms of ballot, and, and in the battleground states across the country. I mean, we were doing much better. Um, and, you know, we felt we were in, in, in a pretty good position coming out of, the, out of those debates. We did do one thing. Um, Mitt had. Mitt delivers, it, as, as Matt was saying, it, when, um, in big moments, he came through, he delivered, he delivered in those debates. So let's let, let's talk about where we stand now, coming out of the debates. Let me debates, just say one thing, because it's really interesting. People don't get to be the nominees of their party in this process by accident. And that's a quality that these guys are describing that you have to have if you're going to get there. And both of these guys had it. And, uh, you know, the president said to us, we cut, you know, differently for the second debate. Obviously, there was a lot of tension on the second debate. Uh, the president said uh, uh, to David Plouffe and myself, going into the second debate, we prepped well, I feel good, we're going to have a good night. And we left, and I said to Plouffe, you know, you don't get to be president by accident. You get to be president because at those big money times, you come through. And I think you, you're hearing this on the other side as well. You know, you have to have that quality. And uh, both of them were called on during the, the course of these debates to show that quality where each of us, to some degree, had our max 
All right, so we're out of the debates. We're now into the reality. If somebody's got to get 270 electoral college votes, there is a sense frequently argued by the Obama campaign that they have many more pathways to get to 270. They have a Rust Belt path. They have a Sun Belt path. Rich, let me start with you. As you get down to mid-October, to what extent did you feel that you needed to, in effect, thread the needle to get to 270? How much was available to you? And what was, as Matt, I think, alluded to before, where were you starting to think that you might have to shift away from? Uh, in order to uh, concentrate your resources. Well, getting back to, uh, to, to uh, Axe's favorite subject of the first debate, after that uh, first debate, it's almost a distinction without a difference, but, but uh, you know, it, it, Jeremy probably saw this as well in some cases. We went from people wanting to beat uh, President Obama to people who wanted to elect Governor Romney. And our, our victory centers filled up, our phones filled up, our doors filled up. I mean, that first debate really kicked off. Uh, we saw numbers spike pretty dramatically. But, but as far as the path, yeah, that we always can see that they had a much wider path for 270 than we did. Uh, it was just a matter of uh, uh, there were certain states that, there that we needed to win, and then, then, then we could pick from one of several. Uh, but you know, as you look, Nevada was always going to be a tough, uh, a tough, uh, a tough sled for us. Uh, but as it turned out, you know, this was the first, you know, since since President Obama uh, didn't take public financing in 2008, this was the first. Uh, both campaigns uh, being able to run uh, without public financing, it, it didn't it, it didn't become a resource. Issue. When you're two three weeks out after the debate, excuse me, when you're two three, two, two three weeks out, did you sit down and say, okay, this is our most likely path, and if so, can you share what that? We all was? heard the three two one plan early on, and had that you know that. What, what, what were you looking at at that point? As you point out, Nevada, you know, was looking tough. What was looking to you like the way you were going to get there, and did it have to run through Ohio? Well, I mean. <laughs> We always, it, it didn't have to, but it made it a heck of a lot easier. We, we in, inside, we called it uh, climbing the backside of Everest uh, if, uh, if, if we didn't have Ohio. Uh, but again, it was always Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, and Ohio. And then you, then you, uh, you know, you pick from a buffet of, of New Hampshire, uh, you know, Wisconsin. I knew Wisconsin being a same-day registration state was going to be tough. We saw what they did on same-day registration in New Hampshire. It was, uh, uh, it, it was, it was epic, as the kids say these days. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, I always liked Colorado. I liked our, our absentee early vote numbers. Um, I, you know, there, there was, the, the path was always those states and then, and then picking something else. Did, I mean, did, we knew Virginia was going to we, we, we never once considered that, that Ohio was not part of our plan. No. Did, never so was. you never thought you could really do it without Ohio? Well, we always thought we had a good shot to win Ohio. Yeah. Which we did. It was very close. And, and Rich, let me ask you this, because we talked earlier in the day about get out the vote and the extensive amount of money and effort that the Obama campaign put into that early on while you guys were fighting a primary uh, for a year. How often did you run into them and their extraordinary machine, you know, effort and say, you know what, we're out, we're, we're, we may be outgunned here in Ohio, or maybe... That's the key point, and that, that's where I think they did. That, that's where I want to make sure I give them. We give them credit. Is we I, we didn't see them out on the doors in the places where we were. Because we were out there knocking on on independents and, and, and the low propensity, uh, high support type folks. We could get, and we weren't seeing them out on the doors. And I couldn't figure out. You know, all we ever heard was how many staff and how many offices they had. And and and, and yet in, in Neil's polling and in our internal uh, stuff, we saw that, that that the number of contacts were roughly equal. And so. They, they were just, they were talking to different people. <laughs> and, and, you know, we were concentrating. We said if we can win independence in Ohio, 
Ohio, we're going to win Ohio. And they, they, they took a different route, and that, that's why it was so perplexing to me that of all of the intel we got from the field, yeah, I mean, we see them occasionally out on the doors, but not, not in the same place. Jeremy, we, we talk about what was going on mid to late October now in these battleground states. What's happening on the ground? Uh, well, you know, at this point, we've been for a year plus uh, in a place like, you know, Ohio. And look, we, we, we reported that you see the other side on the ground. We don't ever see the other side on the ground. And that's not because we weren't talking to independents in Ohio and not on their doors. We had a multiple pass in the state. You know, at this point, registration is over in most states except for the same-day registration states. So we had two, two things to do at that point. Turn out our folks, especially in places with, uh, with early levels we had it. Uh, and then uh, get the remaining persuadables in order to get their house secured. But so, you know, I think we were doing what we needed to do. And, you know, you saw Rick Wiley tweet about 70,000 doors being knocked on the weekend before uh, the election, or maybe it was a week before, I can't remember exactly. That, that day we knocked on 370,000 doors in the line. And, you know, we had more time to do it. We had more resources. We had a ton of organized recruitment on the ground for a long time, recruiting these volunteers. You know, we, had a, we had a big head start. We were building and we were executing at that point. Uh, there were a very small number of persuadable voters we still needed to talk to multiple times, and then the rest was all about GOP and early voting. Can I ask an Ohio specific question to the Romney team, which is the Jeep ad that became um, so controversial about outsourcing to China? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just do that. Okay. Um, look, um, we think that ad helped us, and the numbers back that up. Um, I know that uh, there's, there's two ways to look at this, and uh, which one is that it brought up the subject, which is a difficult subject for uh, Romney. Uh, the other is it provided people with information that reassured them um, and reduced the impact of the advertising had been against uh, Romney. Um, but if you look at the in those markets, there's uh, we did better in those markets for having run that. Jim, uh, Obama campaign did that, did that. What was your interpretation of that? Of the effect of that ad? What, what did it? Did I, I think we have a different interpretation. No, we have We think it helped us. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I think our view was um, that it that it reinforced very clearly kind of the message that we were trying to was critical in Ohio in terms of. Uh, of auto and what the president's record had been, and that this was something that both in the earned media and our ability to come back uh, in paid media and have that be part of the closing conversation was something that was um, that was very helpful to us. It's get, it's, I'm sorry. I, I, I wonder, and if you want to pursue this, we can. I, I wanted to ask one question, though. Uh, one of the things we had to do was uh, sort of put aside some money in case you all went you know, to any number of different states that we ultimately could push over and go into some yeah. of the other states like Florida at the end and, 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 and plus up. Did you th ever consider going earlier to, whether it was a Pennsylvania or, you know, a Minnesota or some of the other states in a more concerted way? Or was the decision really one that you just sort of reserved for the end when you went to... Uh, we reserved that decision for the end. I don't, you know, many of us believed, um, you know, Pennsylvania was similar to what our strategy was in Iowa, always keep your options open. And it just seemed that traditionally Republicans had chased um, 
the shiny objects, in this case being Pennsylvania. So we were always of the mindset that we would make a decision late. And if we had resources and it looked like, um, you know, we could rush the net, what we said inside the, the campaign at the end, then we'd take a stab at it um, and try to make a, 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 a
the number of white men who didn't vote in this election compared to white, white women compared to four years ago is extraordinary. I mean, something like, you know, 286,000 white men who voted in 08 in Ohio didn't vote in, uh, in, in 12. In Florida, I mean, like 400,000. It, it, it and, and these white men were replaced in the election to some extent by, uh, among, uh, replaced by white women. We're, we're taking a group we won by 27 points and replacing the group we won by 12 or 14. So we got okay, well, can I ask a question? So, 30 million people voted early. So, you know, you can ask people in polling where they're going to go, but there was data already on 30 million people who voted. And we just weren't seeing, I know, Rich, we had some graphics for the memo, but, you know, to take all that aside, because we're kind of, we're talking to the media on that, but did you really think that in those early vote numbers that they, that, that was reflecting a because those numbers on our end were the most encouraging thing we had to show that the electorate was going to look more like 2008. I'm just wondering, did you just think maybe that was just too small of a piece, or still in some states it wasn't enough? It's what we chalked up to you having the time to do that, of yeah. being able to build that infrastructure and, 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 and do that. But in, the, in a very small space of election day, that was going to be a little bit different story. And when we looked at our election day numbers, Florida, Ohio, Colorado, I mean, the margins were there. So, yeah, we were, we were always polling the people who had already voted, knew what the margin, knew what we would go into election day, what the deficit would be. Uh, but, uh, I want to just one thing, Carol. We haven't talked about this one, I can't this, but the impact of the storm. Sandy, you know, we were just Which is a good way to end the conversation like what's going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Stuart. No, but, I mean, every race that I've ever been involved in that where we beat an incumbent, we always control the dialogue at the end of a race. You have to put an incumbent under pressure at the end of a race. It's like an NBA <coughs> in the last minute. And we saw ourselves, I think, positioned um, like an NBA game there at the end where we could win this. And the, I think the impact of the storm was such that we went from having these, we lost control of the race and an ability to control the race. Um, and I think that was, the ball went out of our hands. I mean, we went from having these big sweeping rallies to sitting in a hotel room watching television. Well, yeah, well you know, I, I think the, the storm did for Obama kind of what the debate did for us, the first debate. It, it, it showed Mitt, in our case, in a, in a different light, and, it and the storm reminded voters of Obama, the president, that they, that they, they, kind, of, they kind of liked. Right, well, we're going to, uh, when do we have the, David, why don't you get the last, I really do uh, want to conclude the conversation. One, one thing before David, because I heard Gloria say Governor Christie. Yeah. Governor Christie was not responsible for Mitt Romney losing on election. Right, just, David. That wasn't my question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, David, on this point, then we're going to wrap up. Just uh, 10 seconds on that. I think there's no doubt that the storm sort of froze the race in the sense that coverage was dominated by the storm. You turn on the news, and instead of uh, the election, you saw the storm. But I think I, I also would say that um, I, I, we didn't perceive a big change in the numbers. It simply froze the race in a position where we uh, where we were. And we, you know, so I, I, I don't think the storm was determinative, but it was certainly helpful in the sense that it, it, it froze the race in an advantageous position for us. But we had banked a lot of vote uh, early as well, and that was I just wanted to say that um, this is a, a, a big, brawling, messy process uh, sometimes and uh, uh, maddening sometimes. But I think every single person on both sides of the table, and Beth and I were talking about this, 
uh, appreciate the fact that it is an enormous privilege to be in a position to compete for the presidency and to work for someone that we uh, care about or respect as candidates. So, I mean, I just want to say on behalf of the Obama team that we respect you guys as, as, as opponents and we respect you also as colleagues in this great pursuit. Uh, and we should never lose sight of the fact, no matter how hard we compete, that we all ultimately are lucky to be uh, living in a country where we can have uh, that competition and where uh, all of us have an opportunity to participate in it. So um, I just want to tip my hat to our colleagues across the table. I think that's a, uh, an appropriate yeah, let's have a Um, I want to thank everybody for coming and echo what David said. Uh, for the journalists, for the folks who worked in these campaigns, you're the, reason, you're the inspiration for the students that we're hoping to encourage to follow in your footsteps. And it's why this country is a great place to live and our democracy works. So thanks to all the participants, whatever role that you play. Um, it does seem fitting in an election that was marred by storms, hurricanes, and things like that, um, that it, a conversation about this has an issue, right? It has the power outage. It's a citywide power outage. We're worried that at some point the generator may run out of fuel, and so the reason why we're cutting it off early is to get everybody out safely. Unfortunately, when you, if you go back to your hotel, it's dark at the Charles, yeah. too. Um, we figure there's some bars that have figured out how to deal with this. We can continue the discussion. Um, there's not going to be a forum tonight. Obviously, there's no power. Um, we'll do our best to reschedule, continue the conversation, and we will be in the loop about the proceedings and everything else. But thank you to everybody. Thank you to Gloria and Ron, all the moderators, and everybody for putting this together.